Greetings and salutations to everybody out there on podcast land. This is the Judo Chop Suey Podcast. And I'm your host, Judo Dave Roman. What's going on, everybody? I'm very happy to be back behind the microphone once again. Wanted to let you guys know, if you haven't noticed, over the past several weeks, my podcasts have been, or at least my episodes have been being released about every two weeks or so. And guys, unfortunately, this is probably going to be the norm for me moving forward until I truly retrofit this room to become a more viable studio. It's just, it's very hard for me to set up this room in a way to record the audio and capture the audio properly. And I, I'm not even going to get into what I do, the hoops that I have to go through to set up this room when I record. I don't just sit down and turn on the mic and, and start flapping my gums. There's a lot more involved here that I have to do. But look, I'm not, I'll be honest. Retrofitting a room to become a recording studio is actually pretty expensive. It's, it's more money than I'm willing to spend because I'm a cheap bastard. So I'm really looking on Pinterest and all these different places for cheaper alternative options so that I can have people on this podcast, you know, come over the house and we could do co-hosted shows and interviews and such. And if I didn't mention it already, I am planning on having my friend Judo Joe come on the podcast after the world championships to break down some of the fights and and hear his take on what he saw during the Suzuki World Championships, which is going to be held in in just about two weeks. Two weeks for you Total Recall fans out there. Now, speaking of Judo Joe, I had another excellent workout over at Ybor City Jiu-Jitsu with Joe practicing Yoko Tomonagi again and this time I recorded some video of myself and Joe practicing this not only in just a static situation but in moving and doing some light rondori as well. I gotta tell you guys it's really really great to have a friend and a training partner that I can trust and depend on to work on things that I don't have opportunities to work on because my Yoko Tomonagi compared to a month ago is is light it's so much further ahead than where I was I think if you guys see the video you'll be a little surprised at at how proficient I've become at this throw already well maybe some of you will look at this and say man this guy sucks but you got to remember look I'm 42 years old I'm not as fast as I used to be and even when I look at myself in the videos I'm thinking to myself damn I'm really slow compared to how I used to be so but regardless of that I am very pleased with where I'm at. I was working during Rondori, a, a variety of different combinations. And when I say Rondori, I'm talking more like 50-50 or what some of you call French Rondori. So it wasn't it wasn't this full-out type Rondori. We were just moving around in more dynamic patterns, trying to create entries for the throw. And I was surprised. I was able to pull off quite a number of throws, and I've got that on video by the time you hear this episode, you will I will already have posted it on my Instagram page, which is at Lavita Judoka, my Twitter, which is at Lavita Judoka. And what else is at Lavita Judoka? That's right, my uh, PlayStation Network for all you gamers out there. And I'm also going to post this post this on my you of uh, Facebook page, which is Judo Chop Suey Show. If you search for that, it'll take you right to my Facebook page, and you see all the other posts that I, I don't really talk about. Uh, during the episode sometimes. 
So it was an excellent, excellent class. And I got to tell you guys, and I'm, I know I'm going to get flack for this. I also love going over there and working with Joe because we don't do warm-ups. In, well, I always warm up before I do judo, but we don't sit there and do push-ups and sit-ups and, and mountain climbers and things like that. I, I don't got time for that personally. I know there's a lot of clubs out there that run their classes this way. And granted, this was not a traditional judo class, but I got more done in an hour and a half today than I do at a lot of other clubs out there in a, in a month. I'm, I'm telling you, I, I love it when I could just warm up my body and get to work and, and work on the things that I want to work on. And I, I think these are opportunities that aren't afforded to a lot of students unless you know somebody that's got mats or in a mat space. A lot of times students are limited to just going three to four times a week and doing whatever the rest of the class is doing. But man, I tell you, if you guys have an opportunity to work on something specific and you sit there and work an hour on it, you will make so much progress. Well, especially if you have, if you kind of have an idea of what you're doing. And I, I must say, being as experienced as I am, it, it really does help knowing exactly what I need to do and then getting there and accomplishing those goals. So very excited about the workout I had today. Not only that, I came across a fellow that I hadn't seen in a couple of years. His name is Josh Rafferty. Josh was once a contestant on the the Ultimate Fighter on the very first inaugural season of the Ultimate Fighter. And he's had an extensive career uh, doing MMA, uh, doing some professional wrestling. And right now, he is basically a personal trainer to some of the WWE talent. So we're talking about guys like uh, Sheamus and, and Bautista. And I've seen him work uh, on his Instagram, work with Samoa Joe. And I was stunned. He, you know, he, he remembered me and he actually talked about the podcast. I, I, I was shocked to find out that he actually knew about it because I, you know, I'm really just a small fish in a big pond. But he not only did he uh, know that I would have a podcast, but he offered to come on the podcast. And I was like, hell to the yes. So Sometime over the next couple of months, I'm going to have him on. And I'm also going to have on a fellow by the name of James Wall. Now, James wrote me an email. And he wrote to me in response to my last episode where I talked about the 501c3 and judo funding. And we briefly talked about making money in judo and making a living as a judo instructor. I had Jonah Ewell on uh, several months ago to talk about how he is growing his his club and growing his membership and some of the challenges of of starting your own judo club and making a living as a judo instructor. But James offers a different perspective of somebody who actually owns two judo clubs, one in Louisiana and one in Orlando, Florida, which I guess the Orlando, Florida location is new. I'm going to make my way out there sometime soon. So I'm going to have James Wall come on. He's his Club name is called Wall to Wall Martial Arts, and it's he's not related to Chuck Wall apparently, who also has a club called Wall to Wall Martial Arts. But James had his club first, and there's no animosity between the two uh, sensei walls out there. But I'm going to have him on hopefully sometime over the next month. I I got to get through this podcast. My next episode is going to be about the World Championships, and. I'm going to have Judo Joe on there. So I'm hoping maybe in about a month or so I can have 
James come on the podcast and give his take on making a living and owning several different clubs. And he charges, he's one of those people that I talked about in my last episode that when we talked, discussed, um, keeping the prices high and, and he certainly does that and people pay and he's got a very successful program. So I'm going to look to interview him, have him on the podcast and get his perspective on how he grew his club. And he's got about, if I recall correctly, he said in his email, he's got over 200 students. So this is, this is definitely big time. This is almost like Mayo Quanchi size. I mean, we're getting there between two schools. And the 200 students is just in one location alone. So I can't wait to hear more about this. So I'll, James, if you're listening to this, I will reach out to you and, and, and hammer down a date and a time to have a conversation. On this episode of the Judo Chop Suey podcast, I'm going to cover some of the highlighted news items over the past couple of weeks including a fugitive who has been on the run, has been captured. I'll get into more of that later. Uh, I want to talk about the uh, Cadet World Championships happening in Chile. And I want to talk about my predictions for the uh, Suzuki World Championships being held in Budapest, Hungary. And I'm going to give my predictions. I I know I said a couple weeks ago that I was going to do predictions. This is going to be my prediction episode. I'm not going to give go into too much detail about why I'm making my picks. I'm just going to go run down what those picks are going to be and 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 maybe give you a brief synopsis of the why I think um I'm I'm picking the way that I am. But first, as always, there's housekeeping stuff that I like to get to. And if you, for you guys who are not familiar with the podcast, the housekeeping stuff is a part of the podcast where I talk about some of the pop cultural things that I find of interest that you guys may not find of interest, but this is my show. And damn it, if I want to talk about what's on TV that I want to watch, I'm going to talk about it. Some of you are geeks out there. Some of you are gamers out there. Some of you liked watching the same type of shows that I watch. So I have a question for you guys. Does this song give you any goosebumps whatsoever? Because if it does, I want to hear from you. Yes, the NFL is back and I am super pumped up and excited for it. For those of you, for those of you who follow my Instagram account, you'll see that I went to the Buccaneers, Tampa Bay Buccaneers training camp a couple of, uh, about a week ago and... I took a lot of pictures and some video of my experience at the Buccaneers training camp. It's a free thing. They do it for the fans. Really, all NFL teams have a free training camp uh, during designated hours uh, for the fans. Well, they don't have a training camp for the fans. They have they open practice for the fans to watch. And it's it's a really good time. It's, it's really incredible to see some of the best athletes in the world, like right in front of your face, doing things that that uh, I could never do in my life and it's just uh, some of these guys are just massive I mean we're talking about some guys out there playing football that are the size of Teddy Renner and and have the leaping ability of uh, I don't know like a Michael Jordan or, or, or something like that the tight ends especially they are the mix of athleticism speed and power Whereas somebody like a cornerback or even some of the safeties out there, they're, they they are a lot leaner guys. Um, well, the Buccaneers have Mike Evans, who's an absolute beast out there. But we also signed Sean Jackson in the offseason where, you know, looking at him up close, he, he looks, 
and he looks like an extremely athletic guy, but he's he's more closer to a basketball player's physique than a, what you would think is a football player's physique. So I took a look at at practice the, uh, a, a week ago, and last night was the Buccaneers' preseason opener against the Cincinnati Bengals, and they lost that game. But it doesn't matter because. Winning and losing doesn't matter in the preseason. Just they're evaluating positions. And speaking of evaluating positions, it turns out the Buccaneers' second-round pick just got the, the heave-ho. He got the, they told him, sayonara, get out of here, adios. Goodbye to Roberto Aguayo. Come on, get and I hate to see a, a young man lose a job like that in such a public way. But, man, he was drafted in the second round, and he did not perform. And he's a good guy. He seems like a good guy. He's got a great story. Uh, he's the best kicker in the history of college football. But he just didn't work out for the Buccaneers. So they cut him today and they're moving on. So I'm pumped up for the NFL season. I want to hear from you guys, some of you NFL fans. Who's your team? Who do you root for? And how do you think your team's going to do? I'm calling at least 10-6 for the Buccaneers with a playoff berth. I can't wait to see if that happens. But... I'm used to disappointment living in Tampa Bay, so it wouldn't shock me if they went 6-10. and 10. Hopefully that won't happen. I know the National Football League is primarily watched by us U.S. Americans, but I know and I predict that in 10 years, within 10 years, London will have its own NFL team. So I'm curious to find out from you people over in the U.K. Well, not you people, but you know, you all in the U.K., do you guys watch the NFL at all? Do you people, you, well, there you go again, you people. Do you people up in Canada watch the NFL? Do you people out in Australia watch the NFL? We get Premier League games and I'll watch it from time to time. I'm not a huge fan of football, as they call it over there um, in jolly old England. But I'm curious to find out if any of you guys watch the NFL uh, across the seas. I know the Tampa Bay Buccaneers, my Buccaneers, have played over in London several times over the past 10 years. And I believe they're probably slated to go again in over the next couple of years. But I predict the NFL will have a team in London within 10 years. I think they'll make it work. They've been building a relationship for several years now. And while the players don't like going over there, they've got to find a way to get them traveling over there and then coming back because it's it's a it's a long trip to ask of them to travel overseas and the time difference and adjusting and and the different food and all that kind of stuff. So now there's a news item that I read the other day that has me even more excited than for the NFL season. I just saw a press release that states YouTube is going to be putting out a 10 episode comedy series called Cobra Kai. According to the HollywoodReporter.com, the series, set the bow in 2018, is set 30 years after the events of the 1984 All-Valley Karate Tournament and revolves around a down-and-out Johnny who, seeking redemption, reopens the infamous Cobra Kai dojo. It reignites his rivalry with a now-successful Daniel who has been struggling to maintain balance in his life without the guidance of his mentor, Mr. Miyagi. The half-hour comedy follows the duo addressing demons from their past and present frustrations through, what else? Karate. This sounds awesome to me. And look, I've said it many times before. Everybody who knows me knows this. I love The Karate Kid. It just is one of my favorite movies of all time. And to, to see 
Johnny and Danielson go back and forth again on on TV is just is just like it's a dream come true. It, it really is. You can hear in the background a song called "You're the Best" by Joe Esposito, which is a song that played in the background or in the scene where they were in the All Valley Karate Tournament. And I got to admit something, guys. This song I used to play on my drive to judo class. The, in, in the first six months I started doing judo, I would play this song. And I would also play Eye of the Tiger by Survivor. Every time I drove to the club. Because it pumped me up. I had to get ready to fight a bunch of people. And I, I was just like, you're the best around. Nothing gonna give get you down. So, like, I, I just, I, that, that would be me in the car for like a half hour. I'd put it on replay over and over again. And then I got sick of the song after six months. But, yeah, I love that song. And, and um, that's why I'm playing it in the background here. I saw uh, William Zabka reprise his role as Johnny Lawrence. In a video called Sweep the Leg. It's a music video. If you search for Sweep the Leg music video. You'll see it. And not only did William Zabka reprise his role. The guy who played Bobby. Uh, Give him a body bag. Yeah. And and uh, the guy Marty Cove. Who played Sensei John Kreese. Was in that music video as well. I hope those guys make a cameo appearance. That would just. I would just be. It, it would make my year. Quite frankly, it would make my life to see this show. I just, I totally mark out for this show. And I got to tell you, I think I've said it before, if I recall on episode nine of this hideous podcast, that I consider Mr. Miyagi like my first sensei. He's like a surrogate sensei in the same way that Optimus Prime was like a surrogate dad. Now, look, I, I've got a real father. He's He's the best man I've ever known, but... Optimus Prime was like a close second when I was nine years old. And Mr. Miyagi was my sensei when I was nine years old. And I, and like I said, it planted the seed of interest for me for martial arts. And it's, it's what kept me going all these years. Movies, you know, there was Danielson, then Steven Seagal, Jean-Claude Van Damme. Who, who's got a show coming pretty soon called Jean-Claude Van Johnson. That show is awesome. There's a pilot of it already on Amazon Prime if you're a subscriber to it. You got to watch Jean-Claude Van Johnson. It's incredible. So, yeah, this show is going to be awesome. I can't wait to see it. I can't wait to review it. And uh, coming up this month, later on this month, Netflix, Marvel's The Defenders is coming on. I, that one I can't wait for, but I hope... It's not a disappointment like Iron Fist was because that show sucked. But I'm hoping that with Luke Cage, Iron Fist, Jessica Jones, and Daredevil, that they put together a show that's worth watching because I love the Daredevil. I love Jessica Jones. Luke Cage was awesome up until maybe the last two episodes, and Iron Fist just sucked. But that's coming. Defenders is coming on later on this month. I'll be sure to give a breakdown when that happens. All right, let's get to some judo-related stuff. Starting with USA Judo, they actually offered an apology for the debacle for the registration process that happened at the U.S. Open in Fort Lauderdale, which was on starting July twentieth. It, it was a it was a fluster cluck, as I put it in my episode a couple of weeks ago. Now, the thing that I find really interesting is I released my last episode on August first at around eleven a.m. Eastern Standard Time. 
At around 12.54 p.m. on August 1st, USA Judo releases their apology. Now, I'm not saying that I had anything to do with that. I'd like to think so, but more than likely they had this thing written up uh, ahead of time. and They just decided to release it uh, about two hours after I released my podcast where I was very clear about the U.S. Open registration process being a fluster cluck. Now, now I got to say, the rest of the tournament went off pretty well. And I'm not going to be critical of the people who put in their effort and such. I'm not going to be too critical anyway. I still don't know about the explanation that they gave. It would have, a lot of problems would have been solved if you had one guy directing people on where to go. But they didn't have that. I don't know why. But in the future, hopefully they'll learn from this mistake. And they'll correct things moving forward. But at least USA Judo acknowledged the issue. And they put out an apology, which is important because as we've talked about on this esteemed podcast several times that USA Judo has been accused of a lot of bad things over the past few years. And they've got a new leadership crew in there that's looking to right the wrongs. And it's little things like this that they're doing that make a difference for the membership in USA Judo. Along this article, they also presented a fellow by the name of Bob Perez, check for $5,000 who I believe is a director of the United States World University Games team and National Collegiate Judo Association. I don't know what uh, Mr. Perez's job is in that capacity, but they gave him a check for $5,000, presumably to support those two associations. So uh, very good on USA Judo's part to put their money where their mouth is. They're supporting uh, gro- uh, programs to to which it will eventually funnel down to the athletes, which is always a good thing to grow judo in the United States. Now, speaking of growing judo in the United States, I'm going to ask you guys a question because I received a very interesting email a couple of days ago, and it's an email I can't read. I can't read because I feel like this person would be put in a position that may expose him and get him in trouble with certain people. And I don't want to do that. So I'm not going to read that email. I normally like reading emails from you guys, but this email, I just can't read. There's too much information here and I don't want to give up uh, who this person is. Even if I say it anonymously, um, there's enough information in this email where people can figure out you know, who is who this person is. But I received an email about the United States Judo Federation. And there were some things in there. Gosh, I, I there's so much I want to say. I just can't do it. But I'm going to ask you guys a question. Can somebody out there tell me what the purpose of the USJF and the USJA is these days? I really don't know. I, I mean, I know years ago there was a big split and and I'm not I don't have the story in front of me so I'm just going off the top of my head but there was a big split between the USJF and the USJA and USA Judo well maybe not USA Judo but there was a split over Phil Porter who is a legend in American Judo whether whatever you think of Phil Porter there's no question that he is a legend and a pioneer in Judo in the United States and there were accusations out there about Phil Porter selling rank and doing all sorts of very curious things along with rank and and things along those lines 
many years ago and that caused a big issue i believe in the early 1970s that there are now two organizations and i know they may have always been around but there was a distinct split a long time ago over phil porter and some of the things that he was doing and you know i'm not gonna i'm not gonna trash phil porter's name here he did what he did but that doesn't take away some of the great accomplishments he had in in american judo but I am left wondering these days, what is their function? Why are why don't they exist under the banner of USA Judo? I know that USJA and USJF concentrate more on grassroots judo and grassroots growth. And USA Judo is more for the elite athletes in this country. I get that. But why is it that they no longer... Why can't they just be under the banner of USA Judo and operate in the same way that they're operating? Because, you know, USA Judo has their national championships and then the USJA and the USJF have their national championships, the summer nationals, which was very poorly attended, I may add. So what's the point? What's the point of having two national championships? Who who really benefits from that? I, I don't I don't really get it. It seems like a lot more traveling and a lot more confusion for kids and, and parents that want to travel to different tournaments. There should be, in my opinion, that at this point, you know, Phil Porter's been gone for a long time. Those issues are long dead. Why do we still have three organizations? I'm genuinely asking this question. Maybe somebody can point me in the right direction because I just don't know. I don't really see its purpose anymore. I mean, take the USJF, for example. They they don't have a real social media presence to speak of at all. What? Why would I join the USJF today? If I had my own club, why would I join that organization? And USJA... They seem to have a more a stronger presence on social media, especially on their Facebook. And they have all these little camps and such every once in a while in different locations. And I think it's great. And if I'm not mistaken, they are the ones that host the greatest judo camp on earth, which happened a couple of weeks ago in uh, Matthews, North Carolina, I believe. So, but I don't understand why the USJA just can't continue how it is as a function of USA Judo. So, you know, I've heard people say out there that that we should belong to all three organizations. And I don't understand why. Why should I have to pay three fees to three different organizations? I, I should It should just be one fee for, for the year. And there should just be one organization. Now, if USJF and USJA are focused on grassroots, well, then have them be absorbed as part of USA Judo, but continue their grassroots efforts. I, I don't see why they don't do that. And yes, I understand you just can't snap your fingers and these two organizations are are um, absorbed into USA Judo. I know there would be a lot of, I guess, paperwork out there and a lot of hurt feelings or whatever the case may be. But I just personally, I don't I don't see why. It, to, to me, it's like having... I don't know, two unions in, in, in for, for the NFL or, or something like that, or, or two football leagues. Oh, actually, years ago, there was uh, two, two baseball leagues, an American League and a National League, and they formed under the banner of Major League Baseball. It's how it used to be. So anyway, you guys, anybody have any insight on that, feel free to shoot me an email at Judo Chop Suey, uh, not at, but 
You could send me an email at judochopsuishow at gmail.com. I'm so used to saying at with my Twitter and my Instagram that sometimes I put the at in the wrong place. So sorry about that. I saw this story about a week ago about Mr. Peter Seisenbacher was arrested in Ukraine. Now, for those who don't know, Peter Seisenbacher is a double Olympic champion. He's the first judoka to win a gold medal in back-to-back Olympics. And I talked about him in an earlier episode on my podcast back in January, I believe. He became a fugitive because he did not appear in an Austrian court for charges of sexual molestation of two students who were under his care many years ago. So the following I've read on judoinside.com, which I got to say, man, Hans, you are super busy with the tweeting and the, and the and the news articles that you're posting. If you guys aren't follow, following judo and sh- judo inside, shame on you because you are missing some really really great stuff. Hans has been nonstop with his his Twitter updates and and his site and everything. He's working really hard leading up to the World Championships, but in regards to this story that I saw on judoinside.com, it goes two-time Olympic judo champion Peter Seisenbacher of Austria was arrested in Kiev, Ukraine on sexual assault charges after he probably spent his time in Dubai for more than seven months. The United Arab Emirates doesn't have an extradition agreement to Austria. The regional criminal court in Vienna requested Seisenbacher's extradition shortly after his arrest by Ukrainian police. Now, I have no idea what he was doing in Ukraine. I once knew a guy... That got one of those Russian mail order brides and, and she was from the Ukraine and and they're very happily married with, with a couple of kids and nothing wrong with that. Maybe Peter Seisenbacher finally got lonely after being in the uh, United Arab Emirates for six months. Truth be told, I really believed, I really thought we would not find Peter Seisenbacher alive. But I'm glad that he was found alive. Turns out he was just chilling out in Dubai, which is from what I'm told, is a fabulous city. But it's time for him to pay the price. And look, I know in a court of law in most countries, you're innocent until proven guilty. But when it comes to child abuse and sexual molestation, I take the standpoint of that you're guilty until you're proven innocent. Because I have no tolerance for anybody that preys upon children I've talked about this on my podcast months ago that I was once a foster parent to two girls who was being molested by a family member and my home served as a place of protection from them and we were made legal guardians for about three weeks or so and these two girls were an absolute joy to have in the home and I'm very glad to have played a small role And providing a safe environment where they eventually made it to a family member who was proven to be safe and responsible. But, you know, going through that experience with these these two girls who I fostered, um, I've got no tolerance for anybody who would sexually molest or harm a child in any way, shape or form. So, Mr. Seisenbacher, you can go to hell for all I'm concerned. Hope you found guilty and you hope you rot in jail. You know, one last thing on that, being a coach to kids and to athletes is a privilege and the coach-student relationship is a very important one and a very influential one. And as coaches, as sensei, we are put in a position to shape lives. Maybe 
not in the same way that a parent does. I know that not as a parent does, but we shape lives by our example on the mat and off the mat. So that is a privilege to me to be at my own club, to be a instructor or an assistant instructor at my club. And I take that very seriously. And for him to look, children who are 11 years old, 13 years old, they don't lie about this stuff. They don't, they don't just make this stuff up. And, and this is just, just shameful. It really, really upsets me when I hear about stories like this. I I know it happens all the time. It's, it's shameful. I wish I could save them all, but I can't. But, you know, I, I, the, the coach sensei student relationship is a critical one. And it, it is a, it is a, our duty to ensure that nothing like this ever happens. I want to get back to another news item specific to USA Judo that I did not cover when I should have covered about 20 minutes ago or so. USA Judo is hiring. So if you want to be an instructor at a program, so USA Judo is joined with the IJF to start an after-school judo program called Judo in Schools. It's being this program is a pilot program and it's being held at the Somerset, if I get that right, the Somerset Academy Charter Schools, which is in Miramar, Florida. For those who are not aware, Florida has charter schools. I don't know if other states have them, but a charter school is an independently uh, run public school granted greater flexibility uh, than your typical uh, public school, you know, by the state. They they get different sorts of funding and they're held to a different uh, and I believe a higher performance standard, I think. So USA Judo has joined up with the IJF. I guess the IJF donated uh, several mats for this program that's very good on them. And USA Judo has two positions open. One is a after-school judo instructor, and that position pays about $10,000 a year. And, you know, the typical requirements is that you have to be a black belt, you have to have experienced coaching kids, you've got to be a USA Judo certified coach and an IJF certified coach. And let's see here, you probably also have to... uh, you know, show a good track record, obviously pass a background check, given the story I just read about Peter Seisenbacher. So you need to pass a background check and all that good stuff, go through the safe sport, things along those lines. So that's one position. And USA Judo also has another position related to this program. It's it's a coordinator uh, position, and that position pays anywhere between forty dollars and $50,000 a year. For you guys that live outside of Florida, Florida is one of the few states in the United States that has no state income tax. That's one of the reasons why I moved down to Florida, along with the perfect weather, beautiful women. Um, Well, you know, they don't talk to me, but they're still beautiful. My wife is very beautiful. But yeah, so I moved to Florida about 17 years ago. A small part of that was to escape Taxachusetts. And all the taxes that they have in there. So I make a lot more money. So forty to fifty thousand dollars a year. If you're a single guy, you got you got a guy with a girl, or you're a person, not a guy, you could be a girl, you could be a woman. If you are a person with a that's by yourself or has a, uh, a growing family, let's say, fifty grand a year in Florida will get you very far if you're smart. It'll get you very, very far. You could you could buy a, a nice modest home with that salary where, 
if you are living out in, I don't know, let's say California or something, $50,000 is, is, is nothing. It, it really isn't, or New York City for that matter. So what I will do, if I will post both of the links to these job descriptions put out on USA Judo. Anybody in Florida that's interested in taking on this role, you got, again, fortunately, you got to be a black belt, um, you know, which I don't know why you need to be a black belt to be in a coordinator position, but that's, that's their job description. I'm not one to complain. I'm not going to complain about that. I would, in another life, I would consider doing it, but you know, in my life currently, I've got two sons in high school, two daughters in middle school, and I'm just not in a position to root, uproot myself to go to Miramar, Florida, or or in that vicinity. It's just not possible. But maybe it's possible for you or somebody that you know. So I'm going to post those links on my podcast show notes and feel free to forward that information to anybody who may find that of interest. There's another news item that broke a couple of days ago, maybe about a week or so ago, that I found very interesting. It's not directly judo related, but I think it will... It obviously will matter. Paris has been awarded the 2024 Summer Games and Los Angeles has been awarded the 2028 Summer Games. And I'm glad that these two cities are being awarded Summer Games because quite frankly, unlike some of these other countries that they choose to have Olympic Games I I hear that Rio is not doing well after the exodus of the Olympic Games and that athlete funding is at an uh, an all-time low, like maybe like a 20-year low after the Olympic Games and crime is going all the way back up and such. They need to put these Olympic Games in cities that can support it and not feel the negative after effects of when the games are over. It's a big deal for these cities. It tons of millions upon millions of dollars that these cities have to invest in infrastructure and such. But I can't speak for Paris, but I know Los Angeles, if all of a sudden they were awarded the Olympic Games uh, tomorrow and they had two weeks to prepare, they could get it done. There's plenty of uh, colleges that they can use as dorm rooms. There's already plenty of stadiums. They could they could get ready in in two weeks, most likely. I, I mean that that's an exaggeration. I get it, but L.A. is going to be ready in 2028, and it's. I, I'm glad that the Olympic Games are coming back to the United States. The last Olympic Games, if I'm not mistaken, was in Salt Lake City, Utah. And those were the Winter Games, and that was a great success. The Summer Games in 96 was a great success, apart from that terrible tragedy at the Centennial Olympic Park, the the bombing I'm talking about. So LA gets it again. It's going to be the third time LA is uh, hosting the Olympic Games, and I'm sure it'll go off without a hitch, unlike, uh, like I said before, so many other places where it's just left into ruin, basically. The Cadet World Championships happened over this past weekend in Santiago, Chile. And I've seen some of the highlight videos of this. And man, I got to tell you, some of these throws that I've seen in this tournament are amazing. I'm not going to break down who won what, but I, I am going to break down some of the countries that really showed a lot of strength here. There won't be too many surprises. Because we all know how these these 
countries do on the IJF World Tour, so it's no surprise to see their cadets representing those countries find success as well. At this World Championship, there were 428 judoka representing 64 nations. It's no surprise to see Japan being at the top of the list as in terms of countries winning the most medals. They had three gold medals, two silver medals, and seven bronze medals. Germany ranked number two with a total of seven medals. And Russia was ranked third in total medals uh, with with five total medals. No, I'm sorry. Six, take that back. I take that back. Six. South Korea ended up with two gold medals. And Brazil ended up with one gold, two silver, and two bronze medals from this contest. Brazil, Chile, and Russia sent the most amount of competitors. Each of those countries sent 20 competitors to this event, followed by the United States at 19 total competitors. Now, uh, unfortunately, the United States did not get one medal at all in this event. They didn't even manage a fifth or seventh place finish. Now, look, I'm not, I'm not going to sit here behind this microphone and rag on a bunch of cadets not earning a medal, but I just wanted to point out that this is some of the concerns that Kayla Harrison laid out back in May with her comments about USA Judo and its future. I hope that the United States can turn this around because the cadets are the future. And, and you know, like I said, what you are seeing here at the Cadet World Championships is an indicator. Who the countries that are winning here is an indicator of the kind of growth, and this is the future of the IJF World Tour for these particular countries. And to see the United States not even get a seventh place finish, that's very concerning. It it leads me to wonder, you know, how usa judo can turn things around and and again i'm not i'm not ragging on the competitors they they went there they did that their best i'm very proud of them regardless of how they finish because it's not easy to be at this level and compete like this but you know it's it's uh it's an indicator you gotta wonder how we get better from here and look, we have a geographical issue because because obviously we are not the only country that had a goose egg in terms of medals or getting fifth or, or seventh place finishes. I'm looking at this list here and seeing other countries, the Dominican Republic, Chile, Aruba, Ecuador, Portugal, Mexico, Peru, Trinidad and Tobago, Guatemala, uh, Panama. None of these countries medaled and there's a common theme between all of them. And it's that they're all on this side of the world. Of the countries on this side of the world, the only one that managed to earn gold was Brazil. And I think there is an issue here with the geography of these countries being able to go to the other side of the world. I would really like to see more events like the Cancun Grand Slam come over on this side of the world because we need more IJF's events over here. It's it's not balanced enough. And I know the IJF has to make these decisions based on popularity and ticket sales and things along those lines, but there needs to be more international competitions on this side of the world to build up our athletes' experience competing at the top level. We need more than just a single IJF event and the Pan American Games to get our athletes ready to compete on the other side of the world because it's, I'm not going to sit here and say it's not fair, but 
the geography makes traveling very difficult for countries over on this side of the world. And, and it goes the same with, uh, for example, Australia and, and New Zealand. They, they have these geographical issues as well. But we need the IGF to do more in that regard. I would like to see over the next five years, you know, maybe more tournaments that, that our athletes can compete in because we need that experience. And if they have these tournaments over here, they should double or even triple the points for first, second, and third place. Give incentive for countries to come over to this side of the world to get IJF ranking points. All right, I want to talk a little bit about my predictions on the Suzuki World Championships being held in Budapest, Hungary in about two weeks. So what I would like to do is run down very briefly who the top three or four athletes are in each division and then give you my take on who I think is going to win that division at the World Championships. Now, that doesn't mean... That you, so for example, if I go over the top three people, three or four people in a division and I pick something, it doesn't mean that whoever I think is going to win that division is a top three or four uh, ranked athlete in said division. Starting at the under 60 kilo division, you've got Amiran Papinashvili from Georgia is the number one ranked judoka in that division, followed by Naohisa Takato of Japan, who is then followed in third, third-ranked judoka in that division is Francisco Garigos of Spain. And then uh, rank number four is Toru Shishizme of also of Japan. Now, I am leaning toward Takato to win this division in the World Championships. He hasn't competed as much as Papinashvili, but he's placed in better uh tournaments if you want to call it that I think he he came in first in the Asian championships he came in second at the all Japan he won the Grand Slam at Paris came in first place and uh, in the Grand Slam in Tokyo which was held late last year uh, he earned a second place finish and he also got the bronze medal at Rio so I think given that he's had a little bit better success even though Papinashvili is ranked number one I think Given the fact, I, I hate to say it, I mean, given the fact that he's in Japan, he's got a, a little bit better competition on a, or, or training partners on a regular basis. So I, I, I'm going to lean toward Takato to win the under 60 kilo division. Now in the under 66 kilo division, I've said it before, Hifumi Abi is going to take that division. I, I think that's almost a stone cold lock. I know one can make an argument for An Baal, and that would be a very strong case. But Abe has not lost a match since 2015. And granted, he was not at the Olympic Games because he he was he just didn't make the team for whatever reason. Probably he was too young, or maybe they Japan thought they had a better chance with Ebinuma. In the under 66 kilo division, An Baal is ranked number one, followed by Tal Flicker. Of Israel, Abdullah Abdulzailioff is ranked number three, followed by, let's see here, uh, Davador from Mongolia, and Hifumi Abe is ranked uh, fifth, uh, number five. But again, I think that has a lot more to do with, well, I know it has a lot to do with his points acquired on the IGF World Tour. And that's 
for you guys that don't know, that's how these rankings are done. It's it's it all amounts to how many points you have. And just to put it in perspective, Kayla Harrison is still ranked number six in the under seventy eight kilo division, and she's retired from judo. Her points that she's acquired over the past uh, year or so haven't all dropped off. But so in so that's the only reason why. Abe is ranked number fifth, but I I think he's the best in that division and certainly one of the best judoka in the world. I mean, we're, when we're talking about the top five in any of these divisions, they are the best in the world. But it's ter- in terms of the cream of the crop of those who are the cream of the crop, Abe has got to be, he would definitely be in my top five across all divisions. In the under 73 kilo division, you have Sochi Hashimoto of Japan, ranked number one, followed by Rustam Oruzhov of, of Azerbaijan is number two. Uh, Chang Grim An of South Korea is ranked number three. Tommy Masias of Sweden is ranked number four. And Abayar Gantabar is ranked of Mongolia is ranked number five. And guys, uh, this is a slam dunk. Sochi Hashimoto is going to win this division. He hasn't lost a match in... in Probably, I don't think he's lost in 2016 or 2017. Certainly, he hasn't lost anything this year. He competed in the Paris Grand Slam, the Ekaterinburg Grand Slam, and he won the All Japan. He got first place in all of those divisions, uh, all of those tournaments, excuse me. And I don't see this going any other way for the under 73 kilo division. For the under 81 kilo division, I'll just put it this way. Somebody from Russia is going to win it. If I was a betting man, uh, in in fact, I am a betting man, I would probably put my money on Kazan Kamozaev of Russia. And he's currently ranked number two behind Alan Kubetsov. But I, I think this is one of those situations where Kubetsov has managed to earn a lot more points through competing a little bit more. But he's only got about 39 more points than uh, Kalmurzaev. Ranked number three in in this division is Frank DeWitt. Now, I would not completely count out Frank DeWitt from the Netherlands. He's had a very good year. He won the Paris Grand Slam, which was a highly attended event, unlike some of the other events, uh, world tour events throughout the year. The Paris Grand Slam, a lot of people went there, and he managed to take first place in that division. So I would not count out Frank DeWitt. But I think Russia has had control of this division for quite a while. Japan, I don't think really has anybody who's truly strong in this division, unlike the the Russians. And I I, I tell you what, eighty one kilos and up this the eighty one and under ninety kilo divisions they are the combination of of just speed, brute strength, and and just incredible technique. I mean, all, obviously all of these people are talented, but. When you get to the 81, those guys are just like tanks out there. Maybe tanks is the wrong word because tanks are slow and these guys aren't slow. Um, speaking of tanks and fast, let's just call them fast tanks. The under 90 kilo division, the rankings for this is Alexander Kukloš of Serbia is ranked number one, followed by Axel Clerge of France. He's followed by, oh boy. Komoromsov Ustopirian of Tajikistan. And ranked number four is Kusin Kalmarzaev of Russia. Now, normally, 
this would be a slam dunk, at least in my mind, for the number six rank judoka in this division, Mashu Baker. But he is injured, and Mashu Baker is from Japan. He's one of my favorites to watch on the tour, but he is injured. He got injured a long time ago, and he's not competed at all this year, and he will not be at the World Championship. So, my safe bet is going to be on the Russian. <laughs> it's that bad for me to say. I'm going to go with Kusin Kalmerzaev to win this division. In the under 100 kilo division, you have Cyril Murray of France, ranked number one, followed by Michael Corral of the Netherlands, ranked number two. Elkan Mamadov of Azerbaijan is ranked number three, followed by his countryman, Elmar Gasimov, also of Azerbaijan, because I just said countryman. Ranked number five is uh, Miklos Sergenics of Hungary, and uh, Kazbek Zanichev is ranked number six from Russia. And uh, Ryunosuke Haga of Japan is ranked number seven. Now, I normally, I know I said a top four, but this division here is a very strong division. And I listed out the top seven because I, I really think any one of these guys can win this division. It's very tough for me to call. I'm going to go with Michael Correll. Winning this division. That's just a guess on my part. Any one of these guys can do it. I also would not count out Aaron Wolf of Japan surprising everybody and coming out with a victory in the World Championships either. In the over 100 keel division, this is where I may ruffle a little feathers or just be looked at as crazy or something like that. The number one ranked judoka in this division is David Mora of Brazil. And that's because he's got the points. Teddy Renner is ranked number two from France, obviously. Guram Tushishvili of Georgia is ranked number three. Lucas Kerplik, who was the under 100 kilo gold medal winner. And he moved up a division. He's And he's fared very well, I must say. And Hisayoshi Hawasawa of Japan is ranked number fifth. Oh, ranked, ranked number five. Excuse me. All right, I know a lot of people would say Teddy Renner is going to run with uh, run away with this thing, and a lot of people will put their money on Teddy Renner, and they would not be foolish for doing so. But I've been saying it all year. I think competition matters, and Teddy Renner has not competed once this year, and he suffered a leg injury in a couple of instances. There was a tournament I believe he was going to compete in Ho Hot. Or Ekaterinburg, and he had a leg injury that probably set him back a couple of weeks. Now, whether that's just the French media saying he's got a leg injury, I think the new rules um, would have normally changed Teddy's game given how things were in years past. I know he's the favorite here for a lot of people, but I'm going to go with Guram Tushishvili of Georgia. I think. He is the best judoka in this division. I it's I know it's crazy for me to say. Renner is a fantastic judoka, but he's got a game where he wears you out and he does a lot of gripping and, and I, I don't know if the grip tactics that he's had in the past would be a strategy he can use with this year's changes to the gripping. He has to be more positive in his judo and there's a lot of times where he just... I really outgrip you to death and and I won't go as far as saying stall but but just 
just fight and fight and grind and grind. And this year, you got to be more positive in your gripping. And I'm sure he's worked very hard this year. He's had a lot of uh, training at his at, at his club and such. But competition matters, and I think he'll be a little bit rusty. And I think this is uh, um, Tushishvili's opportunity to beat not only defeat Renair, but but to win the world championships in this division. On the women's side, in the under 40, or 48 kilo division, you've got Altong Sateg Galbadrak of Kazakhstan, ranked number one, followed by Ortstaneseg Munkbat of Mongolia. Bakyong Jion of South Korea is ranked number three. Amy Kondo is ranked number four in this division, followed by Milikia Nikolic of Serbia who is ranked, uh, like I said, number five. My pick for this division is going to be Bak Yong Jion of South Korea. I, I think I've seen some of her matches. I, I think she's fabulous. They're all fabulous here, but some people think that uh, Mukbat of Mongolia is going to take this division. I'm going to put my money on Jion. Not literally, but that's what I would do. In the under 52 kilo division, it's going to be Majlinda Kelmendi. Uh, stick a fork in it. It's done. There's there's no need to even discuss this division. It, this is about as sure a thing as the sun rising in the east. Majlinda Kelmendi will be your world champion. In the under 57 kilo division, you have Sumia uh, Dorjan of Mongolia, uh, ranked number one, followed by Rafaela Silva, ranked number two. Sukasa Yoshida of Japan is ranked number three. Uh, number three. Number three, followed by Helene Reseveau of France, is ranked number four in this division. And then number five is Miriam Roper of Panama. I expect all of these ladies to place very well in this division. I I would imagine all five of these will be in the top five to seven. Actually, in the top seven. Uh, I think that's a sure thing. But for me. Sukasa Yoshida is going to win this division, in my opinion. I think she's performed very well over the past several tournaments, dating back to last year. And even though you've got an Olympic gold medal winner in uh, Silva, I still think Yoshida is going to win this division and be the world champion. In the under 63 kilo division, Tina Turstenjak is ranked number one. And that's all you need to know because she's going to run away with this. Much like... Majlinda Kelmendi, Turston Jack dominates the under 63 kilo division. Everybody else, they, they don't really have a prayer. Hate to say it, hate to put it that way, but that's just my opinion. She's the best in this division, and of the cream of the crop, she is the cream of the crop. I would probably have her in my top five as well. In the under 70 kilo division, you have Elvisma Rodriguez of Venezuela, ranked number one, followed by Yuri Alvear of Colombia. Oh, is it Colombia? God forbid. It is Colombia. Just checking. Chizuru Arai of Japan is ranked number three. San Van Dijk of the Netherlands is ranked number four. And Marie-Yves Gahi of France is ranked number five. I'm going to go with Arai of Japan on this one. I know it's easy to go to... for. It would be easy for me to pick Elvismar Rodriguez of Venezuela, but I think... She's ranked number one, mostly due to just she's competed a heck of a lot more than everybody else. But she has not had a first place finish since 
the Budapest Grand Prix in 2016, and I just don't think she's going to get a first-place finish in the World Championships. In the under-78 keel division, I know that Kayla Harrison will not be winning this division, but ranked number one is Gusuche Steenhuis of the Netherlands, followed by Audrey Mayo of France, who's ranked number two. Number three is, is Natalie Powell of Great Britain. I think she's got a pretty good chance, but I'll continue on with some of the other rankings. Abigail Erderliuju of Hungary is ranked number four, and Mami Umeki is ranked number five in Japan. Boy, this is a tough division to call because I think all of these ladies in the top five can win this. I got to go with the silver medalist, Chimeo of France. I think she's going to win this division, and she's probably going to fight Umeki in the final. Finally, covering the under, uh, I'm sorry, the over 78 kilo division, you have Marina Sutskaya of Bulgaria, ranked number one, followed by Larissa Sarik of Bosnia and Herzegovina. Sarah Asahina is ranked number three from Japan. Keira Sayed of Turkey is ranked number four, and Emil Andeol of France is ranked number five. In my opinion, I think Asahina is the favorite in this division. I'm going to predict her to win the gold medal. Uh, Svetlana Aromka, who's currently ranked number six from the Ukraine, I think has a very good chance. She's performed very well in this division over this past year. Same with Slutskaya, but I just think Asahina is the best out of this group. So that's my review of the or preview of the world championships and who I think will win each and every division. Hopefully I didn't miss a division. If I did, I apologize. The IJF unveiled a new website called live.ijf.org and they are, I believe they're testing it. It's kind of a beta test for the cadets, which is as of this recording, I believe the team championships are going right on right now. And... It's a really nice site. I, I got to tell you, I've been going on to YouTube to take a look at the live stream for the championships. Now, granted, they are using YouTube live as a, as a means to stream them different mats. But I like the format of this site. And I suggest that when it comes to the world championships, you travel over to live.ijf.org. I don't know if they're going to ha still have epon.tv or if you can just go to YouTube, but I like the way that they're handling this. It's just the, you've got a list of the weight divisions for men and women's, and you've got mat one, mat two, mat three, and then the commentated one. So look out for that for the world championships, which again is in two weeks. And lastly, before I get the heck out of here, I want to let you all know that judocrazy.com just released their latest newsletter. And if you haven't checked this out, it's a really, really great piece of work that Unyo of judocrazy.com has done. Lots of great color photos, lots of great stories. It features a story and a Q&A with Georgi Zantaraya of the Ukraine. And in this edition... Unyo gives his predictions for the world championships. Some of the predictions that he has, I agree with. Some I disagree with. But you know what? You should probably look at his predictions because he knows a heck of a lot more about these athletes than I do. 
I'm just going on based on what I've seen and what my gut tells me. My gut is telling me that I'm pretty darn hungry right about now. And I got some chicken wings in the fridge that I need to get to. So with that, I'm going to be done with this episode. I hope you enjoyed it. Please check out judoinside.com and judocrazy.com. I really enjoy their work and I think you will too. If you want to shoot me an email, it's judochopsuishow at gmail.com. Again, if you want to follow me on Instagram or Twitter, it's at judoka. The PlayStation name is also at Levita Judoka. If you want to find me on Facebook, just do a search for Judo Chop Sui Show and you will find me. I hope you all have an excellent day and an excellent week. Train hard. Stay safe out there. And until next time, I'm out. Open Gangnam Style. Gangnam Style. Open Gangnam Style. Oh.